Our reading this morning is taken from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, found on uh, page 996 in the Black Bibles. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. So if you're new with us, we're taking the last, these last week and this week to cover the topic of parenting. Uh, we've been in a series on Ephesians, and we're going to continue that in a couple of weeks from now. But we continue with parenting this morning, and we need help again, so let's pray. I thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your scripture. You have given this to us for our good. We do not want it, though. It is too high. It is too difficult. It is too opposed to our selfish nature. And so we ask that you would help us, that you would continue to conform us to Jesus Christ by the gospel. God, for all those who seek to disciple others, for parents to children, from adults to young persons down in Kidstown, from elders to church members, from men to men, women to women, married couples to married couples, as we seek to disciple one another, may we be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. May we follow his teaching. May it be precious to us. We need your help now, O Holy Spirit, so guide us, use us. In Jesus' name, amen. What kind of a parent do you want to be? What kind of a parent do you want to be? I was reading this week that modern psychology recognizes 12 different styles of parenting. 12. Let me read them to you. Positive parenting. Attachment parenting. Unconditional parenting. Holistic parenting. Slow parenting. I have no idea what that is. Authoritative parenting. Authoritarian parenting. Permissive parenting, uninvolved parenting, now we all know this one, helicopter parenting, narcissistic parenting, toxic parenting, 12 different styles. And I'm sure there are ones that they don't even really understand, and everyone is probably a mixture of all of these at some level. What kind of a parent, if you're a parent, do you want to be? Well, here's the thing. You've actually already chosen. You've actually already chosen what kind of a parent you are. Every day, every minute, every second we are with our kids, we are parenting them passively, actively, consciously, subconsciously. Even if we cannot categorize it, we can't put it in one of those 12. 
We do have a parenting style. We have a parenting method. And so the question is not really, what have we been doing? What are we already doing? But what kind of parents do we want to be? Now, we began to answer that question last week, and we said that above all, we must be parents of faith. Parents of faith. We believe that God has given the tremendous responsibility of raising children to us, and we are required to do a good job. That is our duty. We should build the house, as Psalm 127 says. We should protect the city. But the main thrust of that passage is that we now parent with the knowledge that God is there with us. He is building the family with us. He is protecting the family with us. He is sovereignly, lovingly seeing our parenting through. And so what we said last week is that we do not parent by fear. We parent by faith. We can trust that he is doing a good work in us, through us, for our kids. And so that's essentially the first half. What kind of parents do we want to be? We want to be parents of faith. But this is not the whole story, right? We have to parent. We can't just sit back, sit in our lazy boy and say, okay, God's got this. No, Psalm 127 is very clear. We are to toil. We are to work hard. We don't parent by fear, but we parent with gusto. We parent with passion. And our faith should drive us to do this well. Our audience is God. We are doing this for his sake. He has given us these gifts, and so we should work as hard as we can to become parents who do well. Parenting well should be our goal. So from a biblical perspective, from God's perspective, we need to ask that question. How do we parent? What is his way, his method? What kind of parents should we be? That's our question this morning. And we're actually looking to the Apostle Paul to answer that. Now, the Apostle Paul was not a father. We don't think that he ever married, and we know that he did not have sons or daughters, but that does not mean that he did not parent. Paul believed that his job in discipleship was to relate to those in his care as a father would a child. And this was seen, displayed most clearly in what relationship? His relationship with Timothy. We see the fruit of their relationship, this parenting type of relationship in that final letter. Second Timothy. Paul's in prison. He's awaiting execution and he writes maybe one final time to his beloved Timothy. Not to complain, but to love him. Not to ask something for himself, but to build one final time into his disciple parent him. 2 Timothy 3.2 says this, To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says it again in the next chapter, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. My beloved child, my child, grace to you. Paul was childless, but he parented well. And so I don't think it's inappropriate for us to look to Paul for parenting advice. Who he was to Timothy, we must be to our kids. Now, he is not going to share everything. There are other things, but man, this is a big piece of it. 
Now, this sermon is for parents, for sure. I'm, I'm going to speak to parents this morning. But understand that this could go for any, these, these keys could go for any disciple-making disciple relationship. Any re- relationship you have where you are trying to grow each other in Christ, you can follow these things. And so this is for everyone. And so I've never done this before, but I'm going to give you 10 keys. 10 keys to parenting. Well, I promise it's not going to be any longer than usual. That's not, there's a lot, there's a lot there. There's 10 keys, but there is a lot to parenting. And so kind of what I want to do is take us 30,000 feet, come in, swoop down, see each of these so that you can get a taste for it and then come back on your own that you may grow into these things, that you may learn, that you may see what God has for you and then begin to put them into practice. Okay, so let's set the stage. Let's set the context. Start at 2 Timothy 3.10. He says, You, he's speaking to Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endure, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now just again for context, Paul is making a contrast here. He started chapter 3 by talking about false teachers and he says, beware of them for yourself and for the sake of your churches. Beware of false teachers and let me give you an idea what they're like. And he lists out their virtues or their vices. Here is what a false teacher is. But then by by verse 10, he's saying, here is the opposite. Here is the opposite to a false teacher. Here is my life. You do not follow them. You follow me. What has he followed? And our question is, what do we want our children to? To follow. So here are the keys to parenting well. Here's the first one. Teach your children. Teach your children. Verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching. That one's pretty straight ahead, isn't it? Our duty as parents is to teach our kids. Now, every parent knows this if you're a Christian or not. It's our job to pass along certain facts, principles, pieces of wisdom, Our kids need us to teach them how to tie their shoes, how to share, how to have good manners, how to love. And if you are a Christian, we are to teach them about God. Listen, if you are not teaching your kids, someone else is. Someone else is. The way that Paul is saying this, you get the sense that Timothy knows exactly what he's talking about. When he says, my teaching, you follow my teaching, Timothy's like, yep, I I know what you're teaching is. You did teach me. You were very clear about it. And he wasn't just teaching him. He had a specific content. That's what Timothy has in his mind. Yes, I followed your teaching. Let me ask you, what is the content of your teaching? When you teach your kids, what are they learning? Say that your kids brought home an essay that said something at the top like, what my mom and dad believe, or what my mom and dad have taught me. What would they write? What would they say? What do they know about your beliefs? Our teaching should not just be there, it should not be just present, but it should have a specific content 
a definition. Now, in our house, it's easy for me to break it down, and so we have three basic rules. Our kids must obey, respect, and be kind. They would be able to repeat that to you. They must obey, respect, and be kind. They must obey us and anyone in authority. They must respect others, their brothers and sisters, and anyone else. And in everything that they do, they must do so with kindness. That's our teaching. Now, as we're enforcing these rules, they are always finding their context in our Christian beliefs. We want them to understand why they have to obey, respect, and be kind. We don't want just to give them rules for no good reason. We want them to understand that obedience, respect, kindness flows out of their Christian beliefs, out of the very gospel itself. And so we speak to them about the Lord. We sing hymns and songs. We pray with them. We are always reminding them the gospel of free grace, that God loves them so much that Jesus died for them. In my car, on, when I take my kids, I take them almost every morning. I think I've shared this. I'll say, guys, what do you want to talk about? And I'll ask them to bring up some sort of category, some topic. Sometimes I have to help them, but they'll say justice or love or obedience, or respect, or kindness, and we'll just talk it through. What are you teaching to your kids? Deuteronomy 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. All these words that I've commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Friends, we have our kids for more or less 18 years. What do you want them to know? Teach your children. That's the first thing. Okay, two, moving quickly, walk the walk. Two, walk the walk. What does Paul say? We're moving on here. You have followed my, the next thing is conduct. You followed my conduct. It's possible that this is even more important than the first one. It's at least equal with. Because your conduct, how you live, is teaching your children. And it is proving or undermining the truth that you are relaying to them. And so the question is this. Does your life match up with your teaching? The other night we sat down to dinner as a family. We try to sit down at least a couple times a week. And we have our kids be patient. We wait to eat until we pray. And of course, I had to remind my child again, one of my kids, honey, you need to wait to eat. She had a a bite of food in her mouth. You need to wait to eat before we pray. And she said to me, dad, but you're eating right now. And I thought, and I was chewing on a piece of potato. (laughs) Our kids are consciously and unconsciously learning from our lives. They see and hear our speech, our actions. They feel our fears and anxieties. They see us responding in compromising situations. They notice how we treat our spouses, how we treat the other kids. Even if we are saying the opposite, Even if we are saying the very opposite of our actions, they are learning from what we are doing. And they will adapt themselves to our lifestyles. 
They will also trust or mistrust our teaching based on our actions. Again, the question, what is your life communicating to your kids? Paul says elsewhere in the book of Galatians that our aim must be to walk in step with the Spirit. We are to reflect in our speech and actions the great truth of the gospel. Friends, as parents, you must walk the walk. Okay, three. Make your life's purpose clear. Make your life's purpose clear. You have followed, the next one is my aim in life. You have followed my aim in life. Now let's just level set this. We said last week that kids want to know their purpose. They want to know what they're here for. And of course, this comes about more and more as they grow up. They want to know what to live for. Is it friendships? Is it sports? Is it doing well in school in their career? Is it romance? Is it sex? We have an amazing opportunity while we have our kids to help them uncover their purpose in life. And we don't just do it by talking to them. We do it by living out our purpose in front of them. They are learning from our goal. They are learning from our values. What would your child say is the purpose of your life? That's terrifying to me. What does my kid think is the purpose of my life? It should be the glory of God. As, Christians, as Christian parents, it's our duty and delight to reveal to them in our own lives the great purpose that we are to live for the magnification of the glory of Jesus. We could be a banker or a school teacher. We could be a carpenter, a stay-at-home mom. We could be in sales, but it does not matter. Our goal, our purpose is the same, to joyfully make much of God, to magnify him in our work. Is this what you want your child's purpose to be? If so, then live it out before them. Okay, four, make your love for God vibrant and visible. Make your love for God vibrant and visible. And visible. This is how Paul says it. You have followed my faith. You have followed my faith. Now listen to what he's saying. He's not saying you have followed the faith. You have followed the doctrines of Scripture. No, he's saying you have followed my faith. This is personal. Now, of course, he does mean the gospel. He means the truth of the gospel. But he is talking about Timothy following his own love For God, Timothy had seen firsthand Paul love and trust God in a million situations. And so I want to say this. This may be the only point you hear this morning, but may it be this one. More than anything, perhaps, your kids need to see your vibrant faith. Your love for God must be visible. It must be passionate. It must be vibrant. Christian Smith is a sociologist from the Notre Dame. And he is famous for a study he did a few years ago on the religious practices of teens, of of today's youth. He wanted to know, one of the questions he was asking in his study was, why some kids stuck with their faith after, after getting out of the house, after they went to college, and why some didn't. And what he discovered was that those who kept their faith were not the ones who attended church the most, who did the most Christian moral activities, who went to Christian schools. What determined a child's faith outside of the home was the vibrancy of their own parents' faith. 
if the parent, if the parents led active, passionate, devoted lives under the Lord, by and large, their kids would maintain their faith after leaving the house. Is your love for God, is your faith vibrant and visible? Paul says up in verse 5 that a false teacher, he has the appearance of godliness, but he denies its power. The appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Just think about that. These are people who say they love God. They go to church. They would go to small group. They would go to kids town. They would teach there. They are really moral. They do what is right. They have the appearance of godliness. But once you get beneath the service and the service and their speech and their conduct, they do not believe his power. They they believe maybe him intellectually, but not spiritually. Listen, if that is the sum total of our faith, our kids will pick up on that. One of my favorite music artists was interviewed recently by Rolling Stone, and he had grown up in an evangelical home and had since left the church. And they asked him if there was anything valuable about his Christian upbringing, and he said this, I was promised redemption and forgiveness and salvation over and over. But it never manifested itself in any meaningful way. It was like Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football. There's something about my writing that keeps looking to that problem. I don't know this guy. I don't know his life. I don't know what his parents taught him. But I do know that we must be people of faith. We must be living it out truthfully, honestly. We can't just talk about godliness or church. We can't just live moral lives. Our kids need to see the power of God at work in us. They need to see our dependence on him. Listen, friends, this is why we have our kids stay up in the service with us for at least the worship and sometimes the whole thing through the sermon. We want our kids to see you worshiping. We want them to pattern themselves after you. They are learning faith from you. As parents, perhaps the greatest thing you can do for your child is to have a vibrant and visible faith. Okay, five, be patient in all circumstances. It would have been nice to end right before that one. Be patient in all circumstances. What does he say? You have followed my patience. So my family and I are driving down to Florida this week, heading off on Thursday, and, get, uh, and you said you heard that right. We are driving down. It's 20 hours. And I told my wife the other day, I thought this was, a, this was an amazing idea. We're going to take out the middle seats of our van, shove our kids in the very back row, and then build up the luggage in between us and our kids. Seems like a good idea to me. My patience is going to be on short supply this week. But honestly, I'm, I'm actually not joking. I was actually convicted. I really was thinking of doing this. And so I, I was convicted by this. This is speaking to our hearts, and it is saying that you can be patient. You can be patient in all circumstances, and it is one of the greatest gifts that we can tell and give our kids. Tony Dungy, he was an, a former NFL coach. He's known for his patience. His very lifestyle is just patient. He said that he learned his patience from his dad. He said one day he and his brother and his dad were out fishing. They were on a boat. 
And his dad was teaching them to cast, right? And they were using real hooks. At one point, his father broke the silence. It was quiet. And and his father said this, Hey, Lyndon, that was Tony's brother. Hey, Lyndon, don't move for a minute, please. And Tony looked back at his dad as his father continued to speak. Now, Lyndon, always make sure that you know where your pole is when you are starting to cast. And right then, Tony realized why he was saying this. When Lyndon, little Lyndon, had cast his pole back, he had caught his hook in his father's ear. Tony writes, Years later, when I got hooked myself in my hand, I realized how much it hurts. Remembering my dad's patience that day, when Lyndon's hook was caught in his ear, I finally understood the importance of staying calm and communicating clearly. Our patience begets their joy. Patience allows us to make wise decisions. Patience allows us to endure suffering. Patience allows us to get close to the Lord. I want to be known as a patient dad. I want to give that to my kids. Be patient in all circumstances. Six, love well. Love well. You have followed my love. There it is. You have followed my love. Now this again is a contrast. He's contrasting it with the false teachers. And it's a contrast, especially here, because you can see that the false teachers, they have love too. They love things too, but they love different things. In verse 2, it says that they love themselves, that they love money. And then verse 4, it says that they love pleasure. In other words, what is Paul saying? Their love is turned completely inward. It is for themselves. But that is not. Love, love, if we're being honest with ourselves, the love here, the agape love, is other-centered. It is for other people. True love is not for ourselves. It is for God and for others. That is what Paul is driving at. Paul loved the Lord and his neighbor. He gave himself for other people. And he's saying, Timothy, you have followed suit. You do not love yourself. You love others. Our kids need to see our love. Our love for them, our love for our neighbors. Our love is for God. One of the greatest things that ever happened to me happened a couple of weeks ago, and it was during one of my toughest parenting seasons. Parenting is tough, more than I ever realized. And it was a particularly tough time because I was not getting well along well with one of my daughters. Anger, frustration, a lack of patience. One night we did this thing where we went around the table and we had to say what we liked about each person at the table. And it got to her and I actually was worried. I cringed because we were not doing well. And I wondered, what is she going to say? And she said, I like daddy because I know that he loves me. And I honestly could have cried right there. I did it. I am not a perfect parent. And she knows that. She really knows that. But she knows that I love her. And I can love her. Brian Chappell says that as he would pour milk into his daughter's cereal bowl, he would pray that he would be able to pour his love into his daughter's heart. 
Our kids know our love first by our love for them. But they're also seeing us love others, right? They're seeing us how we respond to the unlovable. How are we treating others who don't get love? How do we care for those people of different faiths? How are we caring and loving our spouses? One of the greatest things you can do if you are married with parents, if you are married with kids, is to love your spouse is to love them in front of your kids. Kids are learning spousal love now. They are learning how to love their husbands and wives in the future. So kiss your wife, your husband. Hug them. Hold their hand. Express your love. Let your kids see gift-giving. Let your kids hear your encouragements of each other. Love well. Seven, endure. We're moving more quickly now. Seven, endure. You have followed my steadfastness. You have followed my steadfastness. You could also translate this word endurance. Endurance. Timothy's mentor, his spiritual father, is Paul, who was endurance personified, right? Paul was so committed to the gospel, nothing would stand in his way. He would run the race and he would finish it no matter if it killed him in the process, and it eventually would. Our kids need to see the same. They need to see our endurance. They need to see us stick to our beliefs, our principles, our commitments. Our kids need to see us hold to the truth of the gospel. They need to see us living it out no matter what the world and the culture tells us. Being a Christian is a marathon, not a sprint. David Wells, one of my favorite professors at seminary, said this recently. The Christian call comes at the beginning of our walk with Christ and lasts to the end. We are, in fact, in life's long marathon. It is not a sprint. It's a marathon that takes us up hills and down through heat and cold, over rough surfaces and smooth. It takes us through all the seasons of life from the beginning of the spring into deep winter. Always and everywhere, when we are young and old, when things are easy or harsh, there is that upward call of God that has to be heard and must be answered. This is, the constant, this is constant amid all of life's changing circumstances and with all of the changes and getting old that getting old brings. This call cannot be silenced. Friends, parent all the way through. Stay married. Commit yourself to a body of Christ. Do not commit, compromise the truth of the Bible. Cling to Christ in every circumstance. If you want to parent well, endure. Eight, sacrifice for your faith. Sacrifice for your faith. What does he say? You have followed my persecutions. That's the next thing. You have followed my persecutions. So not everyone is persecuted, but I think that we can let this stand in for the cost of following Jesus Christ. There is a cost associated with following Jesus. Our kids need to understand this. They need to understand that being a Christian is not just about being happy. It's not just about getting whatever we want. It is about following Jesus as Lord. And so this means that we will have things taken from us. It costs something to follow Jesus. Colin Smith, a pastor, says this, Loyalty to Jesus Christ matters more than money, than popularity. It matters more than getting your foot on the next rung of the ladder. Do your kids know this? 
Do your kids know that it costs something to follow Jesus? Are they watching you in compromising situations, in difficult situations, living your life for Jesus, not for anyone else? Sacrifice for your faith. Nine, suffer with purpose. Suffer with purpose. You have followed my sufferings. Now, persecutions and sufferings, those are two different words on purpose. He means something different here. These are all the hard things that we go through in life. These are all of our sufferings. There's nothing so certain in life as the fact that we will suffer. We will suffer. Will our kids see it? How will they see us respond? We must teach them that suffering is coming into their lives. This world is not easy. We are to teach them that when suffering comes, it is okay to mourn it. To mourn the loss of the fallenness of this world. To mourn their personal loss. Primarily, though, we are to tell them, show them that our suffering is not meaningless. We do not suffer in vain. Paul says, of course, in the book of Romans, that our suffering is for our good. Let our kids know that their suffering, that our suffering has a purpose. Okay, here's the last one. We made it. Number 10. As parents point to the power of God. So let's read again from verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Now listen. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. As parents, we give all the credit to the Lord. We praise him for all that he has done, especially when we, he saves us. It does not happen immediately. It does not happen instantly, but he always saves us. He always brings us out, even if it means taking us to death, to heaven. In all that he does, we thank him. Peter says that we are to serve by the strength that God supplies, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, as parents, we serve in the strength that God supplies. Do your kids know that about you? Are you serving in your own strength or in the Lord's? Give that to your kids. Okay, let's go through the list again. Teach your children. Walk the walk. Make your life's purpose clear. Visibly love and trust the Lord. Be patient in all circumstances. Love well. Endure. Sacrifice for faith. Be honest about your sufferings. And last, point to the power of God. Easy enough, right? I realize that this may be discouraging to you. If we take this all at once, if we take this on our own by ourselves, this is discouraging to you and to me. We can see these things and say, yes, we have fallen short. We can also wonder, though, can we ever do this? Is this even possible? Because it sure doesn't feel like it. And so here is where we must remember who is writing this letter to Timothy. It is Paul, who used to be called Saul. What does, Tim, what does Paul say about himself in First Timothy? He says that he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was a violent man. He might as well have been one of the false teachers. And then he changed. He became a person to emulate, to follow. He became a parent in the faith to Timothy and to many others. And he did so in the power of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus grabbed him on the road to Damascus and Jesus gave him his life, every part. Understand that all of these things are given to us by Jesus. Paul was given his teaching by Jesus, his walk, his purpose, his faith. He was given patience by Jesus, his love, his endurance, his persecution. He was given his suffering by Jesus. And he was given his dependence. Friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who are united with him, Jesus gives those things to you. Parenting begins and ends by faith. We cannot, we will not be perfect parents, but in our faith, in our diligent effort to build the house, God is there with us. And he is slowly making us into the parents that our kids need. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, may these not be burdens to us, but our delight. May these not just be morals that we somehow have to follow and live up to. May these not just be rules that we must adhere to, lest we be punished. May these wonderful things, these ten things, be things that we get that we are free to live into as your children. God, I pray for the discouraged parent here today, the parent who is fighting with their child, the parent who is struggling to bring the gospel to them, the parent who is struggling with behavior issues. I pray that you would comfort them, that you would speak to them, that you would remind them that you are there, that you are building the house, that they can rest in your presence and your peace. God, I pray for all of us. Would you help us? God, in parenting, in discipling one another, may we be a people who build the house, who protect the city by your grace, for your glory and for our good. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.